Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 and verses 21 through 24. If you have a, a pew Bible there, you'll find this on page 180. As we pick up our reading, it's been uh, 40 years since the Exodus, and the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness ever since. The generation that left Egypt have died and turned to dust amid the sand, and the next generation who have known nothing but sand are now camped on the banks of the Jordan River, casting that wishful eye into the fair and happy land that the Lord has promised to them. Uh, the time has come for them to enter into the promised land, and the Lord shows goes up and tells them his wondrous plan. The priests are to march toward the Jordan River carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was a box, you remember, that was about three feet nine long and two feet three wide and high, and it was covered with gold, and it had a gold lid, and on top of the lid there was an angel at either end, and the important thing about the Ark was that it symbolized God's presence amongst his people. It was a symbol of God's presence amongst his people. So the priests were to carry this symbol and the people were following at a distance, keeping their eyes fixed upon the ark. And they all march toward the Jordan River, which is at full flood during this time, a raging torrent likely a mile or so wide. Then the miracle happens in chapter 3 of Joshua 4. The Lord is not in the least concerned about the strength of the rivers. Uh, The priests still carrying the ark push past the banks and when their sandals flip and flop into the water of the Jordan River, the water suddenly stops flowing. In the distance, they see it standing up into a heap. Uh, the, river, the water where they're standing dries up until a trickle, until there's, there's nothing but dry ground between them and the other side of the river. The people make their way to that spot. They cross on dry ground. The people enter the promised land safely. And then our text begins in verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. But when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the, Lord, and the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. 
according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people had passed over in haste. Then in verse 21, And Joshua said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to this amazing, dramatic, exciting section of your word, we ask that you would come afresh and be our teacher. You are a God who has always bent on one knee to meet with your children. You did this so miraculously these thousands of years ago, and we ask you to do so again in this time. Bend on one knee that our hearts might understand the truth of your word, and that we might be taught by you, we ask in your perfect name. Amen. Memories can do so much to strengthen our relationships. Rosie and I will reminisce of the time that we first met standing in uh, the schoolyard during recess. Uh, We marvel and wonder at all the Lord has done in our lives between then and now. Some couples like to keep movie tickets from every uh, uh, film they ever saw uh, together. We all like to mark important dates and anniversaries. Uh, We share stories with friends, uh, laughing about those great moments from our younger, uh, thinner years. Um, We like to visit gravesides because we don't want to forget. And remembering our past brings something powerful into the present. Remembering the past brings something powerful into the present. The emotion of the memory itself is is somehow recreated for good, perhaps, as happy memories create joy and a renewed intimacy, but also for ill. Sad memories create a pensive spirit, perhaps shame. None of us can escape the past. And memories are also profoundly important to God. Now, God does not keep movie tickets and he does not send flowers on an anniversary, but he does commission memorials. As soon as the Israelites have entered into the promised land, he announces this hernia-inducing plan. Twelve men are to go and collect twelve big rocks from the middle of the Jordan, and they're to set them up as a memorial. A memorial that's to be built in Gilgal, where they are entering, which is a a national part of sorts, so that all who see, both the people in verse 6, their children, verse 7, even the nations, verse 24, will remember how God has dealt with his children. And on this, uh, our 70th birthday of our congregation, it's worth pausing to reflect upon the importance of memory. And I want us to do that together by drawing a few things out of this text. First thing we want to see together is that as memories can do so much to strengthen relationships, so memories help us connect with God. Memories help us connect with 
God. We tend to be a, a very forgetful people. It's kind of in our nature. Sometimes it's just little things. We forget to take the trash out. We forget to take the meat out of the freezer. We forget where we left our keys. Sometimes we forget more significant things. We forget a birthday, perhaps. We forget an anniversary. We forget that it was us who were supposed to pick up the kids. <laughs> but we also forget not just little or significant things, but the most important thing. We forget God himself. One theologian writes that forgetfulness is the premier danger to faith. Forgetfulness is the premier danger to faith. And, and think about it, in, in a marriage or in any relationship, the real threat may not be any form of dramatic infidelity, but simply a, a slow process of forgetting and a gradual failure to remember the preciousness of the other person. This is how our marriages fall apart, slowly but surely, one day at a time. Love grows cold, no longer grips us like it once did, and before we know it, there's nothing between us but silence in the day and empty sheets in the night. And the same thing happens when we forget God. Isn't always some dramatic rebellion, some dramatic infidelity, but rather a slow process of forgetting and a gradual failure to remember the preciousness of the gospel. Jesus grows cold to us, and grace no longer grips us like it once did. We've all had seasons like this, seasons where we're spiritually flat. Perhaps you're in one of these seasons just now. And God commissions this memorial so that we won't fall into this danger. He commissions this uh, memorial so that we will remember. He says, see these stones and remember my love for you. Remember how I've dealt with you. Remember how I brought you through the Jordan River. For us, remember what I did for you on the cross. And allow these memories to bring something powerful into the present. Allow your heart to be warmed by the grace of these memories. Remember how the Lord has dealt with you. And so connect with him. Second thing we want to draw out from this text that highlights the importance of memory is that memories also serve to make us humble. Memories also make us humble. It's interesting what the passage does because again and again it has this repeated emphasis not upon the strength and the power of Joshua or the Israelites, but upon the strength and power of God. And it does this in a very significant way. Remember the ark that we spoke about earlier, this box that symbolized God's presence with his people? Well, this ark is referred to some 17 times in chapters 3 and 4. Barely, uh, barely a verse goes by where it is not mentioned. In other words, God's presence with his people is emphasized again and again and again until we reach the 17th time. And remember how this miracle happened. The ark was carried before the people and the people were told to fix their eyes upon it. And all are watching when the ark, this symbol of God's presence, arrives at the waters and this miracle takes place. There was no doubt in anyone's mind who was there that day as to how this miracle had happened. 
No doubt in anyone's mind that this miracle had occurred because of the presence of the Lord. And so the stones that they establish are not memorializing Joshua's leadership or the obedience of the people. The stones that they set up are memorializing the power of God. And this is important because most of us most of us have been in situations where a boss or a colleague perhaps is taking credit for work that we have done. All of us have a tendency to give ourselves more credit than we deserve. And the Israelites were no different. And you can imagine what would have happened without these stones. If they had not set up this memorial, we can imagine that you know a little time would pass and they just begin to forget just how completely dependent they were upon the Lord. A little more time would pass and perhaps some of them would even take credit. Hey, remember that time I carried that box into the water and the waters parted? As memory fades, spiritual pride creeps in. And the stones are piled there to remind us that the power belongs to the Lord. Is it too bold to say that we need a similar reminder? I know I'm quick to forget that everything I have is from above. Look around and slowly and subtly take credit for our surroundings. We think that hard work or perseverance or insight have got us where we are today. And that recognition that where, you know, where we would be without God, where we would be without his grace, had he left us in our brokenness and sin, the memory of these things dissipates all too quickly from our souls. And we need to remember that the gospel was not accomplished by our own strength and power, but by the strength and power of another. Not by an ark that symbolized God's presence to his people, but by a savior who truly was God's presence to his people. And we do well to fix our eyes on him and wonder at the miracles that he's performed on our behalf. Memories make us humble. Why? Because they remind us about the power of God. Third thing that draws out the importance of memory in this text, uh, it really comes to us in verse 10 of chapter 3, so we'll jump back a little bit, where we see that not only do memories make us humble, but memories also make us hopeful. The text makes clear that this miraculous parting of the Jordan was designed not just to help the Israelites in their present moment, but to give them hope for their future. Look with me at verse 10 of chapter 3. Joshua said, Here's how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and Jebusites. When the soles of the feet of the priests bear in the ark of the Lord, verse 13, and the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. See what he's saying here? He's saying, understand that God's faithfulness to you in this present moment is what should fuel your hope and confidence for these future moments. You're entering into this promised land and there's going to be all those enemies to defeat. How can you be hopeful that you will defeat them? Well, let this miracle give you hope. Let this assurance that the Lord is with you now give you confidence that he will be with you then. If God has done this, how surely will he do that? And again, what a good word for us as a fickle people. I know on one hand, I am quick to take God 
for granted, and then on the other hand, I'll doubt his faithfulness. The Lord has let me down precisely zero times. He is batting a thousand. He has a 4.0 God point average. He has never, ever failed his people. And yet I still doubt, are you for me? Will everything be okay? Sometimes, are you even there? The Bible answers Romans 8.32 that he who did not spare his own son but willingly gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us what? Graciously give us all things. Graciously give us all things. If the Lord has done this, how will he not also do those other things as well? Don't doubt the love of God. He's proved it beyond a doubt. Memories make us hopeful. Why? Because they remind us of God's faithfulness. So memories connect us with God. They make us humble and they make us hopeful. So on our 70th birthday, there are some things I want us to remember together. Let's first remember how our church began. In 1943, the nation was engulfed in a war such as the world had never seen before nor seen since, and every day men marched off to lose their lives in Europe and the Pacific. Here in the States, a different kind of war was being waged in the churches, as every day men and women were losing their souls as church after church stopped preaching the gospel in favor of theological liberalism. Swimming against this tide, a group of men and women met to pray. Men and women who are passionate about the grace of the gospel, passionate about the truth of the scriptures, passionate about God's sovereignty over all things. And in the February of 1944, it was decided that a new church should be formed known as the Bible Presbyterian Church of Washington, D.C. Snappy title for sure. Thirteen people, apparently, were present at that organizational meeting, which was held in the home of Mrs. Sidney Andrews, who was a widow who lived in the Shoreham Hotel in northwest D.C. It seems strange to us now that you would live in a hotel, especially an elegant hotel like the Shoreham, but it was apparently more commonplace in that day. The Lord was beginning a new work. And let's remember... Uh, Not just how our church got started, but let's remember our pastors and our buildings. Uh, Dwight Chapin, part of that founding group, served as the first pastor before John Addy was called to the position full-time, followed by James McClintock, William Fawcett, Flournoy Shepherdson, and then George Bragdon. Uh, The first services our church had were were actually held in uh, that apartment in the Shoreham Hotel until uh, Mrs. Andrews persuaded the manager of the Shoreham Hotel to let the congregation meet in one of uh, the ballrooms. Uh, Here they met until February 1947 when uh, we purchased our first permanent home, an old Methodist building on Q Street in Georgetown. We met there until 1960 when the Q Street building, this is amazing, Q Street building in Georgetown was sold for (laughs) $43,000. I wonder what it's worth today. We moved out to Churchill Road Elementary School in McLean, and with this move, the session changed the name of the congregation to McLean Presbyterian Church. 
Six months later, we purchased land on Old Dominion Drive, just down the road where that Korean church is now, and we built that facility to the tune of $58,000. The congregation apparently keeping the cost down by painting the building themselves. In late 1963, Pastor Bragdon resigned to follow God's call to the mission field in Peru. He was followed by Warren Myers, who himself resigned uh, three years later to go to the mission field in the Middle East. During this time, our church also sent out its first homegrown missionaries as Henry and Dorothy Wellborn went to Japan. After Pastor Myers left, we searched for a new pastor and uh, called Steve Smallman in 1967, who would lead this congregation through the next quarter century of its life. And during this season, the church saw just unprecedented expansion, growing from 100 members to 1,000 members during his tenure. With that growth came the need for ever-expanding meeting places. First, they reconstructed a new sanctuary on that facility, an old dominion, and then after worshipping in McLean High School, purchased this land and had the first service here in this sanctuary on Christmas Eve 1989. It was 1996, not long after our 50th birthday, that Steve Smallman followed the call of God to replace Jack Miller uh, as head of World Harvest Mission, and John Hutchinson arrived a couple of years later and oversaw the expansion of our current facility into the form we have it now. Many faces, many places. We could mention a hundred more, and God was at work through them all. More importantly than these things, let's remember that the work, remember the work the Lord has done uh, through this congregation. He has gathered worshippers to himself, bringing countless people into a saving relationship with Jesus uh, in these very walls and through the impact of those who worshipped here. On the streets of heaven, we will indeed hear testimony about how people met Jesus in this place. He gathered worshippers, but he also discipled these worshippers. The Lord has formed countless friendships, countless small groups, countless Sunday school classes, countless ministries that have taught his people his word. And overwhelming numbers will tell us that they simply can't imagine what their lives would look like if the Lord had not taught them here. And the Lord also cared for this flock through the ups and downs of life, through births and deaths, through baptisms and and funerals, through weddings and divorces, joys and sorrows. He has met his people with grace in this place. And the Lord has advanced his mission locally through evangelism, the planting of churches, mercy ministry, internationally through the sending of missionaries and partnership with with countless like-minded brothers and sisters. We'll never be able to quantify all the Lord has done through this place. Let's just not remember those things, though. Let's also remember what it's meant to us. Let's remember what it's meant to you. What are some of those images that appear in your own personal highlight reel? I remember being grilled by John Hutchinson and Brad Feldman and Ed Crump on my interview weekend and sensing that Jesus was in this place. I remember preaching my first sermon in the fellowship hall as the sanctuary was being renovated, and I remember feeling every bit as nervous as I did when I got up this morning and finding that God was faithful to his word. I remember my first Christmas concert when we lost power 
Who was there that night? We were in here with candles. The power was out. And then it returned the very moment our liturgy said, let there be light. I remember being loved to the birth of a child, the fear of losing an older child, uh, my darkest moments of doubt, my best moments of celebration. I remember moments of discussion and friendship that have shaped who I am as a person. I remember the honor of becoming your senior pastor and the joy of seeing the Lord rule and overrule so that I haven't screwed it up yet. (laughs) I remember all these things, and as I remember these things, I feel connected to our Lord. The memory of them brings something powerful into this present moment. And as I remember them, I feel humbled. Of course, as a congregation, we take no credit for anything the Lord has done in our midst. How could we have accomplished any of this? No more chance than we would have chance of parting the Jordan. And yet, as we remember all these things, we feel hopeful. Hopeful that the Lord who has done all this surely will walk with us in the future. And as he accomplished much more through this congregation than Miss Niemeyer and the founders would have believed, so surely we can hope that he will accomplish much more through this congregation than we would believe at this moment. You will have your own memories and encourage you to remember them. Remember. Connect to your God. Be humbled. Be hopeful. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to be a people who have forgotten where we come from. You did not find us halfway up. You found us at the bottom. You found us dead in our sins. And by grace, sheer grace, have given us life. Forgiveness through the cross of your Son hope and purpose and joy for our future. We want to give you all all the glory for the work that you've done in our hearts. And Lord, we want you to give you all, all the glory for the work that you've done in our church as well. As we remember these 70 years, we remember a God who has accomplished much. And Lord, we are um, we're humbled, but we're also hopeful. So walk with us as a flock that um, the next 70 years uh, might even outstrip the first. Not for our good or for our glory, Lord, but because we believe in Jesus and we believe that his kingdom is advancing and we, we want to be part of that. Thank you, Lord, for these moments. Uh, We're grateful for them. In your son's perfect name, amen.